0: Amen. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jordan. I uh, get the privilege of being the pastor of this church. And while we were singing that song, it reminded me of the first time I sang that song after I had my son. Um, The first time I sang it after I became a parent. And can I just read you a journal that um, kind of touched my heart as a parent? Um, As we are singing, it reminded me of this. So this is a little journal I wrote to my son that hopefully someday will mean something to him. I had a powerful moment tonight, buddy. I'm in Washington, D.C., leading a trip of young adults to a conference. During the worship set, the band sang a song that has been very powerful to me for many years. It's called How He Loves. The song is about talking about how much God loves us, and I've always sung this song from my perspective to God, but my imagination gave me a different idea today. God is our Father. It made me think that as your father, if I heard you singing the chorus of that song about how much I love you, it would make me smile. Maybe even cry the good kind of tears because I would love for you to know how much I love you as my son. So it made me think God must hear us sing about how much he loves us and it must bless his heart to hear his kids sing about how much he loves us as our heavenly daddy. I know that somehow God actually loves you more than I do. And if that's true, I can't imagine how good it would make God feel to hear you sing how he loves him. Because I know how warm that would make my heart to hear you express a love for your earthly dad's love. And I know that God delights in you. I love you, my son. I love you so much. I delight in you. We have a father that loves to hear us sing that loves to hear us talk about how much he loves us. Let's pray to that Father today. Uh, Lord, thank you for this gathering of your children uh, here to focus on your love for us, to focus on your voice, and to hear from you. And as we enter into uh, your word and a story, I pray that it will give hope and courage to many, um, and that we would say yes to your invitation to come home. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's Palm Sunday today, um, which, if you're familiar with the church calendar, is the day that we celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as the King. Um, We are not going to preach on that subject today, but we do celebrate that every week, that Jesus is the King, and certainly next week we're going to Um, Celebrate his death and resurrection and all that that means for you and I But today we're going to be exploring a story uh, that's in genesis 13 and 14. So uh, If you have a bible, you can flip open to that if you'd like Um, Otherwise, it'll all be up on screen or you can look on your phone uh, Gladly, but we'll be in genesis chapter 13 and 14 and as you turn there if you are Let me tell you a little bit about my house. So this picture right here is my house uh, in the fall. We don't have those leaves yet. But actually, I love those 20 trees that we have every season except fall. And then I want to cut them down and burn them. But um, that's my house. It was built in 1910. It's 113 years old. That's a really old house. That's before World War One. That's before telephones were available in all out like just after that, I think. So it's an old house. But it's actually a really strong house. Um, If you go into the basement, you can see the timber and the wood and the structure and the the care that some people put into building my home 113 years ago. You can see the structure. It may be old, but it has stood the the weather. It stood the elements and the test of time over 113 years. And the older I get, I've already sentimentally almost cried up here in front of y'all again thinking about my life as a father and as a parent and a husband and a friend, um, the more fascinated I get thinking about the generations of households that have lived in that home. I don't even know how many, and will be there for many years, but how many families grew up, how many households grew up in that home. When I left my parents' house, a number of years ago, before that house, but I began a journey to build a family of my own. And when I grew up, eventually I had to take a step into the unknown to, to chart a path for what my life was going to look like. Last week, we stepped into a new movement in the story of, of Genesis. We've been covering from Genesis 1 all the way, uh, the book of Genesis in the Bible, all the way to where we're at today. And uh, David showed, I was so, that was such a great sermon. I'm so, he did such a great job of giving us the overview, really, of like what happened in these foundational chapters in the story. But as he showed us last week, the story of humanity from Genesis 1 to 11 is really a story of God making something good and then we just keep spiraling downward downward in our sin. But God still... (laughs) was patient, wanting to bring shalom, wanting to bring the original peace that he created the, the world with back to this broken world. And so as we stepped into this next chapter, we're introduced to a man named Abram. And he his name changes later in the Bible. So if you're like, hey, is that the same guy? It is. We'll get there in a couple chapters. But for now, I'm going to call him Abram, because that was the name he had When we first encounter him. So at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, we're giving like an opening statement by God uh, in this new plan. Like David said last week, like God had a new plan, a plan B. He was going to restore and bring uh, shalom back to the world, starting with one man and one family. And it began with these words in Genesis chapter 12. It says, The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was going to write a story. In fact, we're a part of that story even now, thousands of years later, but he was going to to begin to write a story through this one man, this one family, by walking with his family as they grew in order to bless the world. In order to begin that story, God had to call a man named Abram away from home, into the unknown. And that's precisely what he did. So over the next couple of weeks, we are going to watch that story unfold and i wanted to share that gen- that kind of thesis statement from genesis 12 that is god's like that's what the church that's what the whole story is going to be about to to be a blessing to the nations what did it look like for the first person to step into the unknown in god's plan to step away from the safety of his his father's household, what might that mean for us today, thousands of years later? I I think, hope, that by the end of the talk today, you will be able to see your story in this story. And I actually can't wait to show you how. So let me pray, and then we'll keep going. Father, I pray you uh, inspire what I'm going to speak next. And... um, Veer me another direction if you want me to, but I, I pray that uh, this will be a day that changes everything for some. Amen. All right, so I'm if you're tracking along in our Genesis uh, sequence, I'm skipping over the second half of Genesis 12 because we're going to hit that theme later, um, so I'm not going to cover that right now. Um, but let's read Genesis 13, starting at verse one. So uh, it says, "So Abram went from Egypt to the Negev." So it says he stepped away from his dad's household. Now he's he's moving, right, uh, with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. That's kind of key. Abram had everything; had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and A. I don't know if that's how you say it. um, Where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. It says that Lot went with them. Who who is that? Um, Earlier, a couple chapters earlier, Lot was Abram's nephew. So uh, we read read in Genesis chapter 11 that Lot's dad, um, Haran, had died, and then Lot became a part of Abram's dad's household. So he was was like a part of the family, even though he wasn't like, um, he's directly related, I guess, but he was a cousin. So Lot was stepping into the unknown with Abram as well, and and over time, um, apparently these chapters are so loaded, right? But over time, as Lot got older, apparently he... And Abram were pretty wealthy and successful at living out in the wilderness. And we pick up in verse 4, where it says this. I'm going to read quite a few verses here. But it says, "...now Lot was moving about with Abram. Also, he also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together." And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Parasites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Eden. It looks, or excuse me, land of Egypt. It looks like the garden, right? It looks, he's pulling us back to Genesis 2. It's well watered. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were greatly sinning against the Lord. So it's not really obvious to us as we read that uh, section of the story. But part of this story tells us something about Abram's character. So God calls him into this, this land and he let Lot, his younger nephew, um, who in the ranks of uh, the patriarchy was less, but he let Lot go first. He actually let his nephew choose between the better property, which was different than the norm. Usually, the patriarch in the family would get the best choice, but do you blame Lot for, for choosing the the good selection, not not necessarily. It was near cities, it was fertile, it was well-watered, it was perfect for raising flocks, which he apparently had many of. He chose the obvious place. Abram gave him that choice. Uh, On the other hand, Abram, his section of land that is talked about there is the central ridge of Canaan. It's rocky and does not support much vegetation for grazing. So it's interesting that God chose Abram to be the, the father of this good news that we are even a, a part of today because he's the type of person that would be generous even as he's stepping into the unknown. He'd be less concerned about his own needs than someone else's, less concerned about his, his own comfort than he is about trusting God Into the unknown. So Abram was generous even when when he was stepping into the unknown. And I think that's a fair question for us as we continue. I'll ask three questions as I keep moving here today. Abram was generous as he stepped into the unknown with God. So it's worth us asking that question too. Are you being generous as you step into the unknown? Because our lives are full of unknowns too. (laughs) You will see yourself even more in the story. I think our tendency when we are scared or stepping into the unknown usually is to grip tighter. To our stuff. Grip tighter to what's known. But if we acted like Abram, we would live generously and trust God even within the unknown. Taking God's call in that Genesis 12, his his original call that Abram would be the father of these people. That would be a blessing to the nations. And we as the church of Jesus are those people today. Taking that seriously means being generous even when it's hard. Let's continue, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around where you are. So he, this reminds me of like the lion. Everything reminds me of the lion king, I think. But it says, Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and the west. Everything the light touches. Um, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. God is like double blessing him now because he gave the good property to Lot. He's rewarding Abram's character with this beautiful promise here. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of memory sounds like a Lord of the Ring thing there or something. Great trees of memory, at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. God beautifully invites Abram to believe that he will be a father and that his offspring, his children and their children, will live in a land that's fit for flourishing. That's all well and good. That's a good promise. Except for one thing. Abram is 75 when God gives him this word. And his wife, Sarai, is 65. I'm not a doctor, but that's a pretty late start to have children. Uh, some would say even impossible. It could have felt to Abram, so put yourself in his shoes here, God's bringing him out to this place Casting this vision about all the children he's going to have and all the flourishing they're going to see in this land to an old man. No offense if you're 75 or up, but about having children. It could have felt like it was too late for something good to happen in his life. And Abram could have laughed at God. so as we try and see ourselves in the story here too do you ever feel like it's too late for you do you ever feel that way that your story has taken just one too many twists and turns you've made one too many bad decisions things have just not gone your way and it's too late do you ever feel that way do you do you hear the promises that god makes And maybe you think that there's no way that your life could look any different than it does. I think Abram knows what that feels like. But he was believing that God could do what God said God was going to do. He was actually grateful. He built an altar. He was generous towards God. He said, yes, God, like, let's do it. I believe you. And he worshiped in that place, giving God thanks for the future that he would have, even though it looked like it was too late. And in the beginning of chapter 14, I would just want to paraphrase the first few verses there, mostly because I'm terrible at pronouncing some of those names. So I'll just tell you what happened. There was a war that broke out between uh, five kings that were in the east. And they were wanting to come and subjugate the—actually, they were subjugating the people near where um, Lot was living, Abram's nephew. Uh, And then they swept in to basically annihilate those people. So there was a war between these kings in a different area, and the enemy kings swept in through the area where Lot was living. And in the process, this happened. uh, Verse 10. The four kings, oh, four, not five, sorry. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, then went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Lot was a person that, as I said earlier, was a part of the extended household of Abram. He was family, and he especially became more Abram's responsibility when Lot's father died. So I want to jump into a little bit of a contextual dive here for a minute. So uh, remember, as I just said, that uh, Lot became a part of Abram's household, even though they spread out their dwellings. In ancient Near Eastern cultures, uh, they were built on family patriarchs. So some uh, cultures have matriarchs where the mother is the head of the household, and others have patriarchs where the father is the head of the household. That this, at the time of our story, and actually through all the whole Bible, I guess, um, is very much a patriarchy where the father was the head of the household. And I do know that certainly for for us in our day, in our modern day, that word can carry some baggage to it. Uh, maybe some. Uh, have experience in here, grew up with a domineering father who pushed people around. I I understand that the word patriarch might be loaded for you. But I do want to share why I think this version of patriarchy was actually pretty beautiful. And there's some things we can actually learn about God through it. So there was something about it that I think is worth sharing. So I was sitting in this house back in October when I had heard about it. Um, it was actually on my birthday that we got to go into this uh, place. It's called a Beit Av. And this structure would have existed in the time of uh, Abram. So this is in Canaan. So I got to walk in that place. But uh, it's called a Beit Av, which means the father's house. And so what would happen is when um, a man would settle in the area of Canaan into uh Canaan, he would become the patriarch and would build a house for him and his wife. Like that one. Go back a minute. Um, so that, like that structure right there, would be the first house that was built in an area. And you can see, uh, as the patriarch and his wife began to have children, they would build extensions off of the Beit Av, off of the father's house, and they would uh, expand into branches called insulas, so you can actually put the, the next picture up there so you see that they didn 't fully reconstruct the the side homes, but those like smaller uh, dwelling areas those are where the children and the grandchildren and the whole rest of the family would build their uh, house off of the father 's house it 's called insulas so the a village would start with one home where then a Patriarch would have children, and then that home would grow, and it would just become this huge. You can still see those today. You can still see people living in that kind of Beit Av um, structure in Israel. It's it's actually pretty fascinating. So, uh, yeah, when the patriarch's children would marry, they would build more, and the same thing for their grandkids, and eventually um, it would be a village. And in the ancient world, everyone that lived in connection. To the father's house, the Beit Av, they would actually refer to the patriarch, the the father, grandfather, great-grandfather, as Abba. They would call him father. They would call him the same word that they call their actual dad, Abba. The patriarch was the father of the whole household. And as I sat inside of the house, you can see... This next photo, um, it was particularly special to me because that was my birthday and I was doing a lot of reflecting on my dad um, and some of the words he shared with me um, that continued to bless my heart as a son of a good father. Um, I learned inside of that room, though, there was 50 of us smushed there. I was almost sitting on that little rock in the middle. Sitting at David's feet, the guy that preached the sermon last week, um, where he shared what what was it exactly that the father of the father's house would provide for those who were connected to it. And here's the types of things that the Beit Av would provide to the family. He knew the needs of everyone, family and extended family, and would make sure that everyone got what they needed. The father, the patriarch, the Abba of the father's house would also provide an inheritance for generations. They would get to live there. And when he died, his oldest son would come and step into that new role as the patriarch and the blessings would continue. So there was an inheritance in the soil of the Beit Av. The the father's house was a blessing from generation to generation. The future was directly linked to the father's house. And the patriarch would also ensure the safety of those in their household. For example, if a member of the family were taken as collateral uh, for a debt, the patriarch would redeem, that's actually the word, would redeem or buy back that person to come back to the father's house and restore their status as children of his Beit Av. Or in cases where a family member were kidnapped, the patriarch would go on a rescue mission to get them back. He would find them and bring them back safely to the father's house. That's normal culture, patriarch culture at this time. And remember, when Lot's dad died, he became a part of Abraham's bait-off. He became Abraham's responsibility. When God takes Abram on a walk to show him the land that will belong to his offspring, he gave Abram a promise. He wasn't a father yet, literally. But he was acting with the character of a good father. He was living out the character of a good father with what happens next. So watch what Abram does to rescue one from his be'av out of the situation he was in. Verse 13 of chapter 14. A man who had escaped, remember Lot was, in all of this city, was was swept through, uh, destroyed, stolen from. Uh, A man who had escaped and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his Beit Av and went in pursuit as far as Dan. That's like 110 miles. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. So even further than 110 miles. So Abram does what a father does. A father in the household of this patriarch, he went on a rescue mission in the middle of the night. He went to seek and save that which was lost. Which sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? Do you ever feel lost in the unknown? Do you ever feel like you've been swept far away from home? Watch what happens next in verse 16. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot with his possessions together with all the women and the other people. In this story, Abram hears that someone from his Beit Av, someone from his home, from the father's house, has been lost. So what does he do? He goes on an all-out rescue mission to bring that family member back home. This is a story about the first person in God's plan B to redeem the world, reflecting the character of what God is actually like. As the story in the the Bible continues to unfold, we learn that God is like a parent who loves all will call on His name. In fact, by the time we reach Jesus in the biblical story, he refers to God as his Father. The ancient story we've been reading points to a divine Father who has a house called heaven. A Beit of far greater and stronger than any house made by human hands. Jesus says it this way, My Father has many rooms. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Friends, you are invited back to the house of God the Father. He's deeply concerned to bring you home. His heart is to restore you Save you, redeem you. There is a house. There is a place in reality that is made for you. It's the Father's house. And it's built stronger than any house on this planet. You don't have to live a life of being lost and wandering and afraid in the unknown. You can be known. You can be rescued. And you are invited to take the room that the Father has prepared for you in the Father's house. I'd like to invite the the band forward as we close. And I want to give you guys an invitation. And that invitation is, we've got a whole bunch of keys sitting on this little shelf thing. That's right there. As we sing this next song, and as we reflect on the character of God that we start to get to see in this guy called Abram, and we hear Jesus talk about that God is like a father who has a home, he has a bait of, and he has a room for you. Sometimes it's, it's hard to believe that because this world is chaotic and sometimes we feel lost and sometimes we forget who we are but you are a child of god and there's a key made for you there's a key to the father's house you know i'm using a metaphor here but what i want to invite you to do is i want to invite you as they sing as we sing this song together to come forward and take one of the little keys up there as a reminder to yourself that you have a place in the Beit Av of our Heavenly Father. You have a place in the Father's house. And He has been on a rescue mission to bring you home, to redeem you, and to give you the key back to His house. So I want to give you that opportunity. There's enough keys for everybody in the front here. If you want to take it home with you to be a reminder that you have access to the father's house because guess what god is like a father who loves us oh how he loves us so let's sing this song together and as you're feeling led to you can stand now we'll sing together and you can come on up and grab a key as a reminder to yourself that you belong in the house of the father